0: There is no other name under heaven by which men are saved than by the name of Jesus. There's no other name by which men are saved and women are saved than by the name of Jesus Christ. Peter declared these words in a powerful sermon before the Jewish leadership in Acts chapter 4. He testified to them. That the man that they crucified, Jesus Christ, was the only means of salvation, the only means of restoring right relationship with God for all of mankind. And this is the central confession of the church. This is the centerpiece of what it is that we declare. That when there was no hope for mankind, when we were locked in our sin, when we were bound in slavery to sinfulness, separated from God and would have been separated from Him forever. God acted. He loved the world so much that He as a Father sent His Son to die for us. To to bring us back from our sin. To have an opportunity now to live in right relationship with the God who created us. The hope of the world is Jesus. Jesus. That is the message of the church. We are about the gospel. And as the church, we must be committed to declaring this message at all times and organizing and protecting ourselves in such a way that we can be about the work of the gospel. The gospel must be our priority as the church. It must be our priority in terms of what we preach It must also be our priority in terms of how we organize ourselves such that we can be about the work of the gospel. 1 Timothy 1 has laid the challenge to Timothy. There are false teachers in the church who are watering down or perverting the central message of the church. You've got to go in there, you've got to clean it up. That's your challenge. I'm charging you to go and to set things right to protect the message. But then in chapter 2, a a transition happens. No longer is the the challenge to go and protect. Now the the call is to organize, to, to orchestrate the church in such a way that the gospel will be protected and the mission of the church will go forward to declare the gospel to the nations. The question has come. How can the church order itself in a way that promotes the gospel and ensures its protection? How can the church be organized? How can it it be about the business of ministry that actually helps the gospel go forward and take root in the lives of the world? And that's what Paul is about now in chapter two. He's answering this question. What do you need to do, not just removing the false teaching, but now what are the positive things that you need to interact or implement in the church that allow you to be the kind of church that is speaking the gospel, and protecting the gospel. So Paul begins to unfold, beginning in chapter 2, all the things that we as the church need to be about. Timothy, the church in Ephesus, all of us today, that we need to be about in order to make sure that we are pushing for the gospel in a way that glorifies God. And where does Paul begin? What's the first thing that he calls the church to do as they begin thinking about not just what's wrong, but what needs to be right with the church. In order for you to be the kind of church that is promoting the gospel, in order for you to be the kind of church that glorifies God in every respect and is seeking to see the message of Jesus go to the ends of the earth, what's the first thing that you need to be committed to? Paul's answer is prayer. He begins where many of us end, unfortunately. He begins with prayer. Paul says that for us, for the church, to be faithful to the gospel ministry that God has called us to, we must be a people of prayer. Listen to how he begins chapter 2, verse 1 of 1 Timothy. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made. First of all, first A first priority, I want you to be a people of prayer. Prayer is foundational to faithful gospel ministry. And what a sad thing it is for me as a follower of Christ, probably for all of us in this room, to have to be reminded of the necessity of prayer. (laughs) You'd think that we would understand that our ability to access the God of the universe our ability to to speak with the God who created us, to, to sit and fellowship and have our minds transformed, our hearts directed toward Him, to sit at the feet of Jesus, you would think that we would appreciate the gift that prayer is more, and not only the gift, the necessity it is for us to be able to do what God has called us to. I think if we're all honest... Many of us in our practice, I think if we if we were asked the question, we would say the right answer, but in our practice, if we're being honest, I think many of us would say that prayer is often a last resort. It's the last thing that we come to. It's so sad that we exhaust every bit of earthly wisdom we can find, typically, before we hit our knees and ask for heavenly wisdom. Isn't that true? There's something wrong in your life, you're going to go seek out... book. You're going to watch a podcast or listen to a podcast. You're going to go try to to seek out maybe even some some brotherly or sisterly advice. That's not always necessarily bad, but those things are secondary to what is primary. Prayer should be our first response. I think about even Vacation Bible School this past week. There, There are two ways we could have approached Vacation Bible School. And probably in the past, I've approached ministry in an unprayerful way. We've done Vacation Bible School a long time, haven't we? A lot of years. A lot of you in this room have done Vacation Bible School longer than I've been alive, right? And we get pretty good at Vacation Bible School, so we know what what to do. We can organize the rooms. We can decorate. We can get the best snacks on the planet because, you know, we have Pat Riddle. We can... uh, We can organize the best games. There's a lot of things that we can do in our own strength to draw a crowd. There's a lot of things that we can do to draw to rely on our own strengths to to entertain kids. Y'all got to hear me. Nothing of eternal significance would have happened last week if it wasn't bathed in prayer. Nothing. I can get a lot of kids here. All i got to do is, you know, wave some Teddy Grahams or some Cheetos up, and the kids will come running. And it may satisfy their bellies for a period of time, and it may cause parents a lot of headaches as they run around with all that sugar in their system, but it will not change them eternally. And that's the point, right? There could have been seasons, and there probably have been seasons in ministry, at this church in my own ministry, where we've known what to do, and we have operated in our own strength, or we've... We've been about the business that we know to do, and we've relied on earthly wisdom and earthly practice to do it. And we sit back and we wonder why God's not honoring what it is that we've been giving our life to. And the reality is no matter how much earthly wisdom, no no, no matter how many talents we bring to the table, no matter how good we've gotten at doing ministry in our own strength and our own ability, it will never be of eternal significance if God has not honored it. And the way that we know, the way that God has called us to be sure that he will honor the ministry that we are giving ourselves to is to call out in desperation and prayer and say, God, we're going to give you our best. We're going to, to offer everything we have to the gospel because that's what you've called us to do. But if you don't show up, if you don't do something that only you can do, then it's going to be worthless." That should be our prayer every time we gather, friends. We can do a lot of things in our own strength. It's dangerous. We can, we can mask a lot of good ministry and manipulation and tickling ears. But if the Holy Spirit of God does not sit upon us as a people and move and work in ways that are beyond our abilities... Wasting our time, Paul says, you got to get the first things first. You got to start in prayer, because nothing of gospel significance will happen in the church if it's not first bathed in prayer. Don't be backwards. Don't rely on your own strength. God's given you talents. God's given you knowledge. God's given you all kinds of resources to put into the kingdom. But don't make them idols. Don't rely upon them to do what only God can do. You faithfully use them, but you ask God first to do something extraordinary through your ordinary. God honors prayer. Isn't that true? I think it's good for us to be in the posture of prayer because it reminds us of our need, our constant need for God. And as we think about ordering ourselves and giving ourselves to the work of gospel ministry, let's heed the warning of prayer of Paul this morning that prayer must be our first priority. Prayer is the first step in faithful gospel work. I don't care how much money you raise. I don't care how many people you send. I don't care how many tracts you print. If it's not first, bathed in prayer, you've gotten things out of order, according to Paul. First of all. Let's see how Paul challenges the church and their commitment to gospel centered prayer this morning in chapter 2, verses 1 to 7 of 1 Timothy. Here's what the word of God says First of all, then, I urge, urge, command that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. But there's one God, and there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. Clearly, this is a call, a challenge from Paul to Timothy, to the church in Ephesus, and us today to pray. What I love about Paul is that he doesn't just call us to pray, he instructs us as a faithful teacher about how we should pray, how the gospel should inform our prayers. If we're going to be committed to the gospel, we need to be a people of prayer. Because the only way that the gospel goes forth. An effective, life-changing ways, spiritually significant ways, if it's bathed in prayer first, meaning that the Spirit of God is resting upon us, empowering us for that work. But even as we are committed to prayer, uh, gospel in our prayers, the gospel itself should affect the way that we pray. So that the gospel becomes not only the goal of our prayer, but the lens through which we pray. And so Paul says, I want you to pray... I want you to spend some time before the Lord giving yourself to Him, to commit yourself to the gospel work. But even as you're asking the Lord to do something incredible through you as the church to push the gospel to the nations, I want you to allow the gospel itself to inform the way that you're praying. And when you do that, when you allow the gospel to be the lens through which you pray, the Lord's going to stir your heart and your emotions even more for the gospel He's going he's to fill you with a greater, with even greater conviction for the work of the gospel. He's going to empower you for it. And then just watch as incredible things begin to happen for the sake of the kingdom, for the glory of God as a result. So pray. Pray in a gospel-focused way. And what I want to do this morning is think about the traits of gospel-focused prayer that Paul outlines for us In 1 Timothy chapter 2. Not just that we would be committed to pray, but that we would be committed to pray in a way that is gospel-focused, in a way that is influenced by the very gospel that we seek to proclaim among the nations. Four traits this morning of gospel-centered prayer. I see in our passage. I just want to tell you, I've changed them up a little bit since the first service. They're not going to be on the screen, so you're going to have to listen to me uh, verbally cue you, okay? And uh, I'll make sure of that so you can make sure you have these in your notes so you can begin practicing it uh, when you go home today as we strive to become a people of prayer, all right? Trait number one, the way that the gospel should shape our prayers. Gospel-focused prayer prays for all people. So how does the gospel influence our prayer? How does the gospel shape the way that we pray as we think about becoming a church committed to the gospel? Firstly, gospel-focused prayer prays for all people. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings, verse 1, be made for all people. For kings, all who are in high positions, all people. Paul is saying... All kinds of prayers should be offered for all kinds of people. All kinds of people need prayer because all kinds of people need the gospel. Now, think about this for a second. Is it natural for us to pray for all kinds of people? No. In fact, Paul is probably counteracting some of the false teaching right here in this statement. It's likely that the teachers, the false teachers of the day, were saying... You should only pray for yourselves, or you should only pray for us. You shouldn't pray for people outside of the church who are not like us. That's a natural way of looking at prayer, right? In our flesh, it is natural for us to only want good things and only ask God for good things for people that we like. And yet here, Paul says that we should be praying for all people, all kinds of people. So, Paul, we should be praying for the false teachers, who have been leading us astray? Yes. Paul, we should be praying for our leaders who are currently antagonizing us and seeking to persecute us? Yes. Paul, we should be praying for people who are outside ethnic Israel? Yes. Paul, we should be praying for people who don't look like us and live in other countries? Yes. See, the gospel has expanded our idea of who is worthy of the gospel, or who is worthy of a, a covenant relationship with God. The gospel has expanded for us who gets to be a part of the family and the people of God. All people. Not just one people. In our flesh, and our sin, the Bible says that dividing walls of hostility were erected. It's that we look at each other And immediately consider the ways that we are different. And we immediately consider the things that divide us. And here's the goal of that. To build ourselves up. We look at one another and we say, okay, I see you. You're different. Here's how you're different. Your differences are not good. And that makes me better than you. And that makes me more worthy of God because I'm better than you. And the gospel removes that superiority. The gospel removes any thinking that you and I are more worthy of the the work of Jesus Christ than anyone else. And it calls us to, to think of each other differently such that when God rescues us miraculously from our sin, we begin to associate with people that we never would have associated with otherwise. I would never associate with Kevin Byerly except for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just kidding, brother. But it's amazing. This is what Paul writes about in the book of Ephesians. He's talking about the effect of the gospel. And he says that we are one in Christ. And he says to the Gentiles, and this is especially good word to the Gentiles, and and in Ephesus, there are a whole bunch of Gentiles who need to hear this. At one time, Gentiles in the flesh, that's most of us in this room, unless you're Jewish, you were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Jewish people were in the covenant. Gentiles were outside of the covenant. They were superior in their own minds. Remember at one time you were separated, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and promise having no hope and without God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once off have been brought near. It's a new Israel. A new conception of Israel, a new conception of the people of God. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing walls of hostility. We are a new people. Not characterized by geopolitical boundaries. Not characterized by a bloodline, but by a common confession in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the gospel has changed the way that we are to look at one another in the church. We are no longer slaves or free. We're no longer male, female. We're no longer black, white, brown. We're no longer any kind of characteristic that the world assigns to us. We are children of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to look at each other differently and pray for one another in a supernatural way. And not only does it change the way that we are to look at each other, it changes the way that we're to look at everyone else as well. All people. We are to pray for all people. Even people the news media tells us to hate. Even people that look different than us. That value different things. That think differently than us politically. We are to pray for those people. Gospel-focused prayer prays for all people. Why? Because God is concerned for all people. God loves all these people. He created them in His image. And if God would send His Son as a means of salvation for all people, if He is concerned for all people and He has acted in that concern for all people, friends, who are we to say that someone is not worthy of prayer? So Paul says, however it is that you pray. You can pray in a whole bunch of ways. You can pray a prayer of supplication, You can pray a prayer of praise and adoration. You can pray a prayer of intercession where you're begging the Lord to act positively in their life. You can pray a prayer of thanksgivings. However it is that you pray, the myriad of ways that you pray, make sure you pray for everybody. And not just for their demise, right? Oh God, would you rain curses upon my enemies. You pray in all kinds of ways for all kinds of people. Because that's what we're to be about as a church. The gospel is meant for all people. And if the gospel is going to be affecting our prayer, our prayer life as a church, then we should be praying for all kinds of people, even enemies. Why? Because we were enemies of God, and yet God loved us. Isn't that incredible? Gospel-focused prayer prays for all people. Secondly, gospel-focused prayer prays for gospel-friendly contexts. Gospel-focused prayer prays for gospel-friendly contexts. As we pray for all people, he says specifically in verse 2, we should pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And this is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth that is Jesus Christ saves us. We should be praying for gospel-friendly contexts. We're praying for political environments that are advantageous to the gospel. We're going to talk more about this in a couple of weeks right before 4th of July. But do you know that it is God who ordains governments? It is God who ordains kings and presidents. He has established the world to work in such a way where governments have a role and responsibility and the oversight of humanity. And it is good. It is a good thing when governments promote peace and the ability to live in a godly way that promotes the gospel. It is a good thing when governments allow for us to not be distracted with wars and not be distracted with other earthly concerns so that we as the church can give ourselves to the work of the gospel. It is a good thing to live in a country that allows for the freedom to gather and the freedom to express ourselves religiously in a way that we believe honors the Lord. Those are all good things that allow us to to be fruitful in the gospel work that God has called us to. I want you to think about this. Is it an accident that Jesus came into the world when he did? No. What was unique about that time that God would decide in the whole history of the world to bring Jesus at that moment, at that time? Rome. Rome was unique at that time. And even though they were persecuting the church, there were a lot of things that Rome provided to the world at that time that allowed uniquely the gospel to go forward in a way that it could not have gone out before that time. Rome had brought unparalleled peace so that you didn't have to go and leave your family for decades to go fight crazy, violent battles in foreign lands. Rome built roads so that you could travel easily from town to town. Rome brought a common language for people to do business in and to, to serve Rome. Little did they know that all of those things that looked like they were the result of Rome's wisdom were actually the wisdom of God that he would utilize to push forward the gospel. It was a good thing for Rome to bring peace. It was a good thing for Rome to build these roads. It was a good thing for Rome to bring a common language. And God orchestrated that for the advancement of the gospel. Do you think that God would not do the same thing today? We should continue to pray for the United States of America for it to be a gospel-friendly environment. But we shouldn't just pray for America. We should pray for the whole world. I think about Iran today. I was hearing stories this past week when we were at the Southern Baptist Convention of how the the gospel is moving through Iran in incredible ways. Wouldn't it be great if Iran had a government that was gospel-friendly? Wouldn't it be great If the Ayatollah suddenly realized that Christianity may be an advantage for Iran, wouldn't it be great if some leaders in Iran began to be converted by the gospel of Jesus Christ and suddenly the persecution that is directed toward anyone who gives their life to Jesus is removed? Wouldn't that be a good thing? Absolutely it would. Now, can the gospel go forth in persecution? Of course it can. But... You can see easily how in times of peace and prosperity, where governments are advantageous to the gospel, how that is a benefit to the work of the church. And we should be praying for that. Actively praying for that. That God would continue to establish governments and raise up leaders that promote the gospel instead of try to erase it. And why would we pray in this way? Because of what God desires. And that leads to our third trait of gospel-focused prayer. Gospel-focused prayer prays for salvation. We want to pray for all people and we want to pray for gospel-friendly context because it's good to pray for these things because God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires that all people to be saved and come to the saving knowledge of the truth. And what is the saving knowledge? That there is one God. Not many gods. Not our own configuration of a God. This wasn't a something that we made up in our minds. There is one true God. And there is only one way to this God. There's one mediator. God who took on flesh and dwelt among us. We only know God because of Jesus. There's only one way to know who this one true God is, and there's only one way to get to this one true God. There's only one way to have our sins removed, satisfied, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood has bought us back from our sin. He was a ransom. For many, we were lost in our trespasses. We were enemies of God. God acted on our behalf so that we could be free, so that we could know and love Him and walk in fellowship with Him. This is why we exist. To declare the gospel. To see people who are bound in sin, rescued from their sin and give their lives a devotion to jesus i wonder sometimes i hear the i hear the the statistics of the american church and how we're declining rapidly how baptisms are declining how which means that salvations are declining and i have to wonder if some of that decline is not the result of the church not praying for salvation How often do we spend hours praying for Aunt Susie's cat in a small group and never once pray for the salvation of someone that we love? Now, is it bad to pray for sickness? Of course not. But in balance, I think we pray a lot more for our own needs and our own concerns than we do for God's. Here's a question for us to consider. Prayer is a reflection of desire, right? We're asking God to do something in our life or up on the earth as it is in heaven. Do our desires that we communicate in prayer reflect the desire of God? God desires that all people to be saved. All people will be saved. And salvation through the knowledge of the truth that Jesus is the only way to God. He's the only one who can mediate that work. I was convicted this week, friends. I hope you're convicted too. I need to make this more a staple in my prayer life. You can use the excuse, I don't know any lost people. I don't know anyone who I don't know where they stand before the Lord. If that's the case, then we're missing our purpose here. we got to We've got to think differently. And, and praying for salvation helps us do that. We're conscientious of the fact that there are people who are lost. we have going to eternity separated from God. And the only way to get to God is in Jesus. Father, would you, pray, would you help us know people who do not know Jesus so that we can tell them about the hope that we have in Christ, regardless of what they look like, regardless of where they came from, regardless of how much money they make, regardless of what language they speak. So we prayed for all people and we've been given a friendly environment to do gospel ministry in. Shame on us if we weren't about the work that God has called us to in salvation. We need to be praying for people to be saved. To come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And finally, gospel-focused prayer, praise for empowerment. We're praying for salvation because it's not a work that we can do on our own. Right? It's my father and the faith, Stephen Trammell used to say, we're just the pizza delivery guys. We show up, here's the pizza, but the Spirit's got to lead you to eat. Look at this, verse 7. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith. And what I. And struck by here in verse 7 is that even with all that has been spoken over Paul, he's been called by Jesus. He's an apostle, remember verse 1, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. He has been called to the gospel ministry by Jesus Christ Himself. He's been empowered by Jesus Christ Himself, and yet he feels the need to continue to pray. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes I feel like we rely on past work too much for the work that God has called us to do. This work that God has called us to is a spiritual work, right? It's a a spiritual thing that we're called to. And God has given us everything that we need, access to everything that we need to be about this work. So let's ask. Let's not rely... On our own strength. We've been given an incredible message. We know the words to the message, but, friends, our speech by itself is ineffective unless the Holy Spirit of God takes those words and breaks the heart of sinful men with them. Paul knows that. I, I'm a preacher. I've been given a task, but I know the weight of what it is that God has called me to. And I see the the insufficiency of me in this. And every time I'm reminded of what God has called me to and the the seriousness, the eternal consequences of the gospel, it drives me to my knees. That's a first-of-all kind of commitment. I know what God has promised me. I know what God has spoken over me. I know what God has called me to, and that calling has driven me to a place of desperation to sit before a holy and righteous God and say, you've given me all of this, you've entrusted me with all of this, now you've got to do something with all that you've entrusted me with that I cannot do in my own strength. If you don't empower it, it will not have eternal significance. What a challenge for us, friends. We have the message, but we still need the empowerment. We still need the Holy Spirit of God to do what only He can do. we got to do what only we can do, right? We've been called to, to be ministers of the gospel. We have to be about the business of obedience and faithfulness. But let us not rely too much on our own abilities and the instruments that God has given us without sitting first before the Lord and saying, Would you do something that only you can do for me? for your glory, and the good of the world. Gospel-focused prayer has to be the beginning. Has to be the beginning of everything that we do. Dads in this room, you want to be a godly dad? You want to make your home a place for the gospel to grow in the lives of your, your kids? First of all, Pray. You wanna be a godly husband? Moms, you wanna be godly moms, godly wives? First of all, pray. Doesn't mean you don't do the work of dad, of fathering, doesn't mean you don't do the work of mothering and being a good husband. It just means that you get your priorities right. And before you act in your own strength, you ask God to do in you what only He can do. First of all, pray. Church, do you wanna see Irving transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you want to see our homes and our businesses transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you want to see the nations come to know the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? First of all, pray. And not just random prayers. Prayers that are influenced by the gospel. We are a gospel people called the gospel praying for the glory of God. How can we respond this morning to this challenge from Paul to to Timothy and then to us? Well, some of us may need to respond in repentance. Maybe you're not praying enough. This text is a reminder to us of the priority of prayer. Is prayer your first response or is it your last response? i got to say, guys, too often in my life prayer is a last response or even a second or third response, right? I, I want to get in the habit, and I pray that you want to get in the spiritual habit of making sure that prayer is first because we want God to be honored and glorified in everything that we do. And so we're going to sit before the Lord and we're going to say, okay, help me know how to honor you in this. Help me know how to, to seek your good in all this. And help me rely upon your strength and not my own in this, so that you get the glory and not me. Prayer should be a first response. If it's not a first response, what does that say about your commitment to God's glory? If he's not first, he's not where he's supposed to be. And prayer continually situates God in the right place for us as his followers. In your prayers, do you desire what God desires? Are you try constantly trying to get God to desire what you desire, <laughs> right? God I desire that Maserati. Okay. I desire all people to come to know Jesus. What do you want to give your money to? What do you give your resources to? What do you give your life to? Do our desires reflect God's desires? You may ask this question that Pastor Kurt brought up in our sermon planning meeting this week. Is there anything in my prayers that I desire that God does not desire? And is there anything that God desires that I do not desire in my prayer? Is there anything that I love that God does not love? And is there anything that God loves that I don't love? How can I get that rooted out so that I'm praying in a way that honors the Lord? Maybe you need to repent this morning. Because our prayers have not been gospel focused. And they haven't been a first priority. All of us, though, can respond in this way. All of us should praise. All of us should praise that God is in the business of saving. That God is still calling people from death to life. And that he is using us as the church to accomplish that. I think about BBS this past week, right? Because we prayed, because we bathed in prayer, 310 different kids came to our church. Isn't that incredible? 310, 130 volunteers. And all of that work, faithful gospel work, bathed in prayer, the Holy Spirit empowered so that six children gave their life to Jesus. Isn't that incredible? And that's what we know about. That's what we know about. Do you think God would have honored that if that was on our own stream? The empowerment is what leads to the change. The empowerment is what leads to the spiritual significance. True salvation rooted in the gospel. We praise the Lord for that. We praise the Lord that God's still using this church and may we grow in our commitment to the gospel. And finally, I think it should be a, a commitment to all of us to grow in prayer. If you don't get anything else out of today, not just that you need to pray better or different, that you need to pray. That we need to be a people of prayer. And listen, I think I'm, I'm reminded of Paul's encouragement to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8, when he's talks about their generosity, right? And he says, you've been really generous, but I want you to get better at it, right? As this act of grace, if you've, as you've exhibited this act of grace, do it more so. And I think about this year for us, the church. I've been so pleased by how we've grown our commitment to pray, how every first Sunday of the month, we are gathering together in the chapel at 8 o'clock to pray for our church. And we did that in the whole month of January. And I, I can say that I've seen spiritual fruit from those prayers. The Lord has honored those prayers and our position as a church to place ourselves before Him. The same can be said of EBS. We were very intentional to pray specifically for Vacation Bible School and look at the results, look at the fruit. And just those two examples, that should encourage us to stir us to be a people of prayer, shouldn't it? To know that God honors prayer. Let's let's grow in our resolve as a church, as individuals, to be a people of prayer, knowing that God honors prayer. But let's make sure that our prayers are gospel-focused, focusing on what God desires and not just what we desire. I encourage you guys, come join us Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock, Ladies, every Saturday night, 8 o'clock p.m. in this room, there are ladies who pray over our Sunday experiences. You can come join them. Come pray for what God is calling us to. In your ABFs, I'm going to challenge you. Don't spend 30 or 40 minutes just praying for sick people. That's not a bad thing. But we need to be praying for specific things. We need to be praying that the gospel would take root in the people of Irving, the people of Dallas, We pray specifically for lost people. I would encourage you guys, at least once a month, maybe more than that, maybe do it every week, have a time where you share the first names of people that you want to pray for their salvation specifically. Wouldn't that be a good use of our time in praying? And let's watch. Let's watch what happens when we begin to pray in alignment with God's will. Let's see how God blesses this body of believers. Let's see how many people come to know Jesus as a result. I think if we ask the Lord to do something that's in alignment with his will and reflective of his desires, I can't even imagine the blessing that God will rain down upon this body. Wherever you are, would you bow your head? Spend some time before the Lord? Asking him to help you know how to respond today? Are you one of those who needs to repent Maybe just not a prayer, but also of your sin generally, because you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you've you've never come to a knowledge of saving truth that Jesus Christ is the only mediator who can restore a right relationship between you and God. If you've never given your life to Jesus. Just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front. We'd love to speak with you more about that. The rest of us, how are we do in our prayer lives? Is it a first priority? Is it gospel-focused? If not, why not? Would you repent today and just say, God, I want to make this a priority. As a church, in those times where we've not relied upon the Spirit of God, may we repent and make it a first priority. First of all in our lives. Who do you need to pray for for salvation? There's someone in your, your life, at your work, school, your family, your neighborhood, who does not know Jesus. Would you begin praying even right now by name for their salvation and the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus so that they can come to know what God has done for them? And then may, may we as a people commit ourselves walking in the empowerment of the Spirit, never relying upon our own strength or our own abilities, but humbly asking for God to do in us and through us what only He can do. In our homes and in our church. Father, help us to be a people of prayer, gospel-focused prayer, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads.